You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. What is biblical sacrifice today? Hello. And welcome to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphian Video. Now, the Bible distinguishes between the perfect, all-encompassing, eternal wisdom of God and the imperfect, limited wisdom and mortal thinking of mankind. Thus, any sacrifice based on mankind's values is not acceptable to God. The heartfelt sacrifice, as taught throughout Scripture, and the Lord Jesus Christ to cover transgression or sin is acceptable to Almighty God. The presenter in this episode endeavours to explain that one of the main themes of the Bible as the inspired word of God Almighty distinguishes between the perfect all-encompassing eternal wisdom of God and the imperfect and limited wisdom of mortal man. Thus, any sacrifice that is based on mankind's imperfect standards or material values is not acceptable to God. Hope you enjoy this episode. It's really clarifying for us exactly what biblical sacrifice is or should be to us today. Thank you. What is biblical sacrifice today? Where I started with the subject is just to understand the whole concept of sacrifice and uh, what it was, what its intention was and how it was applied. And the, this is all familiar material to us, but I think it's important that we just um, understand some of the principles um, and just to clarify in, in simple terms what was actually going on. So right from Genesis, when we go and look at um, Genesis 3, it was quite particular what was to be done. There was, it was explained what was to be offered and how it was to be offered. And then <clears throat> under the law of Moses, a lot more detail obviously was added to that. Now, when we look at Cain and Abel, we uh, can par- paraphrase and summarize the two ways of thinking because they really um, summarize or bring into two parties, if you like, um, the ways of thinking when uh, you have the way of the flesh and the way of the spirit. <clears throat> and it's, it really strikes at the heart of our service to God. So with Cain, he had the attitude that he would bring something of his own hands to offer to God. It was a gift out of his own abundance. It was a gift of, he thought it was a sacrifice in his, in his mind. It possibly, or given the benefit of the doubt, it was the best possible um, vegetables that he could have offered or whatever the detail of that was. Um, and in Cain's mind, he would have thought that this was a worthy offering of his work. He was sacrificing something that he had done. That was unacceptable. Abel, on the other hand, said, my offering is actually a matter of faith. And so therefore, I need to respectfully offer what God has taught us so that I can draw near to God. In my current position, I am removed from God and I need to be reconciled to him because sin separates me from God. 
And this sacrifice is about salvation and redemption from sin. So it just highlights in this the two types of thinking that there are in the way things are sacrificed. And as you can see, that will permeate through to our life in Christ as well. And I just felt it helpful in my own mind, just going through to, to put it into those terms, to help contemplate what the correct approach to sacrifice should be. And so we find that the, the focus should be on what God requires rather than what we can offer. Sacrifice must be a God-centered activity. And it's important because the principles of acceptable sacrifice pervade all aspects of our service and worship. This is a principle that goes across everything that we do in our life in Christ. It doesn't matter that we're not required to offer a lamb because the principle of faithful worship and service so that we may be acceptable by God's grace runs right through the whole of Scripture. So we don't need to bring something of value to us and burn it as an offering to God, as they would have. And, but looking at it in those terms, as we're just bringing something that's of value to us, is like looking at it as like Cain did, and it will be meaningless because God doesn't need anything material from us. He is not like some uh, crazy capitalist that has to accumulate all the wealth we can bring for him, nor is he some despotic tyrant who denies us everything so that we have nothing and he has everything. That is not the point of sacrifice. It's an element of sacrifice that we feel the, the pain, if you like, of it, or there's a, there is an element of giving up of something, but that's not the main point. God does not behave like a human. Offering something valuable is not the purpose of the sacrifice. It's material value, that is how much it costs or how precisely it was done, is not its true divine value. And a human-centered approach like this where we say, what's the most valuable thing that I have to offer God, while it may seem noble and devoted, misses the truth of sacrifices and offerings. So where does this value lie in sacrifice from God's point of view? What is important to God in sacrifice? And sacrifice and offerings can be material and they can be measurable. But it's the meaning and the purpose of the offering in the heart and in the mind of the offerer that matters. A faithful person would obviously endeavor to do things correctly, like Abel did. And so they'll follow the letter of the law in that example. But the letter of the law is not the divine value. That's not where God places value in the letter of the law and following exactly and precisely every little thing. It's the devotion of the offerer in doing those things as God needs it to be done. So the, per the, the person of God, the person of faith, will do these things precisely because he is a person of faith, not because he has to do every detail. And Abraham, Abel was a man of faith. Now, I haven't got any quotations going up on the screen, so... Being a Bible class, I always believe we should use our Bibles. So we're going to look at Hebrews quite a bit. Um, it wasn't on purpose. By the time I got to the end of my notes for tonight, I realized that I concentrated a bit on Hebrews. Um, but nevertheless, so it is. So Hebrews 11, verse 4, um, we read there, 
By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. So Abel's sacrifice, as we know, was accepted by God because it was an expression of his faith. Abel's faith to draw near to God, Abel's recognition that redemption can only be received according to as God has set it out. Whether we like it or not, we are, um, we as the human race are in the wrong. It's not for us to dictate how things should be done in this matter. It's for God to offer us a way of salvation as he has. And it's for us to seek to draw near to God on, according to God's methods, as God has outlined it for us. And Abel saw that very clearly, and he had faith to do it. So we also realize from this that it does require a little bit of understanding on our part um, about God and about redemption. We cannot plead ignorance of the basic principles of redemption and continue to offer unacceptable sacrifices to God. If in our expanding knowledge, if as, as we've seen like with Brother Thomas when he came to the truth, as time went by, he found it necessary to get baptized again and again um, because he then realized that he didn't have a, a satisfactory understanding of the truth. But there has to be this growth of understanding, and there is at least a very minimum of understanding that is required of us. This is something that we have to absorb and understand in our minds and also have that devotion in our hearts and the commitment to have the faith. And two aspects of faith in God and knowledge of God need to be cultivated in our lives. We're not at liberty to change what God has decreed, like Cain did. You know, the reason why very often people do that, in my observation, is that it's because they couldn't be bothered to learn what God has written down. You'll find, generally speaking, they are not people who read their Bible. That's my experience, and I can't speak for everybody, obviously. But we need to learn the important principle, and I think we all do appreciate this, that we do need to refer back to the Bible and all that we do to understand and improve our service to God. And in our lives in Christ, we are brought face to face with our Redeemer and our Heavenly Father when we partake of the emblems on a Sunday morning. And it gives us, in a measure, a com comparable situation to the sacrifices and the offerings that they made, um, that, that were made up until the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, on Sunday mornings, we come together to worship and remember our Lord Jesus Christ. Under the law, and we may say Passover in particular, they were in a similar position. They had to follow the law as it was set out to make sure that all the types and the references to Christ were honoured. And there was a lot of detail in what they had to do. And we have a very simple remembrance to follow. It's the polar opposite in a sense. Um, whereas they might have become engrossed in the details and lost in those details, forgetting everything that was important about it, to making sure everything was done correctly and so miss the weighty matters of the law, we have the danger of the exact opposite, that so little is required that we don't actually engage our hearts and minds with the service and we also miss the point. 
So really what I'm trying to drive at here is that it's the hearts and minds of the offerer that really makes the difference <clears throat> as to whether the sacrifice is acceptable or not, <clears throat> or the service. <clears throat> So if we look at it in this way, we can see then that the requirement is exactly the same for them in the Old Testament and for us nowadays. It is all about our faith in God who is able to redeem us. It's about learning his ways and striving to follow his principles in all aspects of our lives. And it's about remembering the Savior. The principles and aims of sacrifice in all ages are fundamentally the same. The principles are, in fact, when we look at it, the bedrock of our lives in Christ, even though we don't offer sacrifices now according to the law of Moses. The interesting thing is that when you think about it, God doesn't want sacrifice. Now, it might sound strange when you consider that he told Adam and others that followed that they must sacrifice. And once again, it's an important principle to think about in our own service. We have to ask the question, what is the purpose of sacrifice? Sacrifice only became necessary when sin entered into the world. Before that, there was no need for sacrifice. And we know that God's purpose is a world without sin. So therefore, a world without sacrifice. If you come across to Matthew chapter 9, Matthew Chapter 9, verse 13. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And no need to turn this one up, but it's the same idea. Proverbs 21, verse 3. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to Yahweh than sacrifice. So what does this mean then? Well, it demonstrates that God wants godly behavior and character rather than sin and sacrifice. Where there is sin, there must be sacrifice, the shedding of blood in particular. And God's purpose is to fill the earth with his glory. In other words, no sin in the earth. And his righteous and merciful characteristics filling the earth. And in that ultimate promised future, no more sin, no more death, no sacrifice. So God is really trying to eliminate then this need for sacrifice. If a sacrifice is being offered, then there must be a sinner somewhere in the room. God's plan for redemption is to give eternal life to faithful people who strive for godliness through faith, repentance, and prayer. And God didn't want animal sacrifices to kill the animals or just for that purpose, but to honor the requirement about shedding blood so that the sin could be removed and those animals were only types of Christ. Nevertheless, sacrifice as a principle is an integral part of the life of godliness because of what it symbolizes. It symbolizes putting to death the thinking and works of the flesh. And until the earth is filled with God's glory, then, and when there is no sin, there will remain a requirement for this ongoing need for sacrifice of some form or another. In Hebrews 10, back into Hebrews, 
Hebrews 10, verse 6. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldst not. Neither has pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom those particular verses are speaking about, followed the will of God in every way to overcome sin and open the way to forgiveness of sins. Not just for that moment in time, but obviously to forgive sin forever, so that the need for more sacrifices was done away altogether. In chapter 10 at verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Again, it's the understanding. And their sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no more offering for sin. And in fact, there's no more need for sin. This is the purpose of God, to remove sin and the need for forgiveness from the earth. This is the kingdom and the glory of God that we pray for. And it seems that sacrifice is as difficult for God as it is for us. We only have to try to imagine how God looked down upon earth to see how his son was treated. God is touched with compassion. The earth wasn't created to be in the mess that it's in. It was created to be filled with God's glory. And even God could not compromise on the principles of righteousness in overcoming sin. In Romans 8, the apostle wrote that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until Christ. And it continues, and when we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So our Lord Jesus Christ has overcome sin. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And because of that, there is no longer a need for another sacrifice for sin. Everything has been done as far as opening the way of salvation to those who love and fear God. So we must remember that we cannot offer any sacrifice for sin. Nothing we do will be a sacrifice for sin. That has been done by our Redeemer. And so if, for example, we use the expression, we are sacrificing our time for the work of the truth, using the word sacrifice does not make it a sacrifice for sins. Now, I know this sounds obvious, but it's an important principle of the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to always remember, this, and it's, it's all about, as, as I see it, about where the emphasis and focus is on. What is the true meaning of what we're doing? Redemption in Christ means that we have been washed and made righteous in his name through a baptism and by his all-conquering sacrifice for sin. And there's no need for any further sacrifice to be offered for sin. However, we do still need to make sacrifices and other gifts in our service to God. So what would be the purpose of sacrifice and offerings in our lives? Now, what's, what's the purpose of this if there's no need for sacrifice for sin? 
Well, if we cut straight to the chase, I believe it's to learn godliness. It's to teach us godliness. It's a way of overcoming the mind of the flesh and replacing it with a godly mind. Because when we sacrifice something, when we serve somebody or some cause or something of that, of that type, which is godly, I must add, in other words, we give up something, we should do it first and foremost out of our love for God. Comes back to where we earlier on I said, a God-centered sacrifice. We may find it difficult to love some people. Certain people just annoy us or we don't like them. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> I wasn't choking over that thought, by the way. But when we, in those situations, and hopefully they're not uh, many, but I'm sure it happens to all of us, um, when we find out in that situation, we, we should try and change our outlook to look at the first commandment, which is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and understanding and strength. And then it will become a matter of our love for God, who we cannot even see. And so a person who we can see, as the Lord Jesus Christ has told us, somebody that we can see, we can actually demonstrate our love to God through that person in our service to our brother or our sister or our neighbor, even though we may not particularly gel with that person. Now, it can be very difficult, I know, but remember all the spiritual principles that are being worked through in our service to others, whether we like them or not. It's not really material here. But think of all those principles. First of all, it's God's will. And who's to know what good will come of this particular act that you're doing? Another thing is that we are subduing the will of the flesh. We may choose to rather do something else or do some or be somewhere else. But we're subduing the will of the flesh because whatever it is, we believe is in the service of God in some way or another. And it ignores, which is to ignore or reject a person for personal reasons is the opposite. We allow instead that the will of God will triumph because that's what Jesus did. So no matter what our personal feelings are in the matter, if it needs to be done, we try and do it. And then there's the peace of mind that follows when we are at peace with God. That always comes for a lot in my mind. And we are using that same principles of mercy and forgiveness. So let's look at a few references about sacrifices that we should make in our times. Well, the first one comes from Mark chapter 12. So if we can go across to Mark chapter 12. Um, Mark chapter 12, verse 32. The scribe said to Jesus, you're right, teacher. You truly said that he is one and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the hearts and with all the understanding and all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And you just think about that last expression of our Lord Jesus. And it brings to mind where the divine value of sacrifice really is and its true purpose. The scribe had an insight into the truth. There's no doubt about that. And 
Like faithful Abel, he saw that to love God with all our hearts and understanding and strength is the real objective. This is a God-centered faith. It doesn't end with loving God. We also have to love our neighbor. And we can easily see why Jesus said the the scribe was close to the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God will be inhabited by people like that, a godly people who care. And this is how we develop our hearts and minds that deny the flesh and the fleshly mind that looks for gratification and self-preservation and then self-indulgence, first of all. The principle is this, love God and do good. And then in the ultimate fulfillment in the kingdom, there'll be no need for sacrifice. So what we need to do is develop a godly conscience. A godly mind needs an active conscience, a working conscience. We develop this conscience by becoming familiar with the word of God and understanding the way of life eternal. A godly conscience guides and restrains us from straying out of the way of life. It is our sense of right and wrong. It is a sense of right and wrong that is guided by God and not by worldly standards of right and wrong, as we see around us now where every, virtually every divine principle of right and wrong has been completely undermined and rejected. We always need to come back to what the Bible says is right and wrong and that, let that be our guide and our standard. Strong's Concordance says that the word for conscience comes from two words and it means to understand or to become aware to be conscious of. So how do we develop this conscience? So let's first look at what does not help us develop a conscience. Look at it negatively, I guess. Hebrews chapter 9, we're back in our Hebrews again, uh, at verse 8. The Holy Spirit, Hebrews 9 verse 8, the Holy Spirit, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. Now, I don't wish to labor the point of the sacrifices being ineffective of themselves, But I've included this reference because I think it applies to us, because we are human. And I want us to look beyond the face value of the quote being about offering animal sacrifices, because there is a danger that we also perform duties, that we do good works without our conscience. We could be working in the ecclesia out of an obligation, a sense of responsibility, Maybe we just can't say no sometimes, or somebody has to do it, so I might as well do it. These could be fruitless, meaningless sacrifices. And that's the sad part. So let's rather be aware of this and just come back and say, all our service, whatever it is, needs to be God-centered. Let's start with that. All the works in the world are of no value if we do it in the wrong spirit. And when it's difficult to do the work, perhaps we've been disheartened or perhaps we're at a spiritual low or 
we just seem to be opposed by everybody. We need to focus then on the why. Why we are doing these things. And are we in fact working in God's service? Or are we fulfilling some personal ambition or aim of some form or another? And this is where our conscience will help us in this. A godly conscience will help us to understand and to become aware and to be conscious of the way of God and what we're doing. In Hosea 6, uh, Israel and Judah, and Judah were condemned for their waywardness. And even the prophets that were sent to them could only have a, a fleeting effect on them a very short period of time before they went back into the evil ways. It says in verse 4 of Hosea 6, the short-lived goodness of Judah is like the morning dew that evaporates in the morning sun. With that picture in our minds, we can see that this goodness looked promising at first. How nice it is to see all the dew in the morning, on the ground in the morning. But then as the sun comes up and the heat comes up, it doesn't take long before the dew is gone. As soon as the sun touches the, the dew, it begins to disappear. And then it's suddenly gone. There was no substance to their repentance and their worship and faith. And verse 6, we're told that God wants us to have the knowledge of God, not just ecclesial activities that look correct and had no substance. The people did not truly engage the minds in the godly aspects of what they were doing. And again, Hosea 6, verse 6, for I desired mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So sacrifice then is a reminder of something greater, but it's not the end purpose of God. God wants the earth to be a place where sacrifice is not required. When we have developed the godly mind to such a level, and by the grace of God we have been found worthy of eternal life, that all of these things which will be, we will do in a godly way, in a godly mind, in a godly situation in the kingdom, will not be a sacrifice at all. These things won't be seen in our minds or to the flesh as a sacrifice. It'll just be part of our work with God. And that's perhaps what we should be aiming for, even in this life, is to get to a point where hopefully our service to others is not seen as a sacrifice, but rather as a service and an honor to our God. And if we can get the knowledge of God and our thinking upon the ways of God to develop our conscience, that in turn, I believe, will guide our work to this end. So there are sacrifices that we must make. Now, as I explained earlier, it's not to obviously sacrifice for sin, but these are service, sacrifices of service and of works that need to be done in different ways. In Romans 12, the apostle tells us to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And the word for sacrifice there implies that there is sin that needs to be addressed. The fact that he's used sacrifice, that immediately brings that to our minds. And we know that we daily battle against the mind of the flesh, and that's in our members. We all struggle to resist the thoughts and the temptations of the flesh. We know that the smallest sin, the tiniest sin, is worthy of death. And as the years go by, we probably don't feel any closer, any better than when we started. Hopefully by grace. 
there have been some changes and improvements in our characters. Some of those rough edges have hopefully been knocked off by now. And the flesh, unfortunately, is never far away. And it's so easy to revert back into the fleshly ways. Romans 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or your logical service. There's a reason to it. It's not, it, 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 there is a reason to this. Verse 2, and be not confirmed, conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 1 is very challenging. When we consider the sins we commit or the good we omit, we all begin, I'm sure, to begin to feel unworthy and to be called by the name of Christ. We need to think about what is expected of us in this verse. And we need to resist the mind of the flesh, striving to keep our hearts and mind in the way of God, positively looking towards God, keeping our minds topped up with the word, allowing our conscience to grow and have a godly influence in our choices each day. And we're reminded in this, it's just to encourage us in this way, that Jesus said in Matthew 6, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things for itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And we should take comfort in these words, and remember to take each day as and when it comes, and focus on godly behaviour today, one day at a time. Just to be clear, I don't believe, and I don't think Jesus was implying, that we should ignore making long-term plans. Equally, it is helpful to reflect on our life that has passed, to learn from experience. We just don't want to be overwhelmed by our sins. What's happened in the past can be forgiven with the right approach to God. Remembering there is forgiveness of sins. That's why we have been baptized, and that's why we look forward to the kingdom of God. We don't look forward to the kingdom of God because we're so righteous. We look forward to it because we sin. Well, speaking for myself. We take one day at a time, little by little. We come to another interesting idea, the sacrifice of praise. How do we make a sacrifice of praise? In Hebrews, which is filled with exposition of sacrifices, in the last chapter, we're told to offer the sacrifice of praise. So maybe turn chapter 13, if you're not there, Hebrews 13. The word for sacrifice here is the same one that is used for an animal sacrifice. It means just that. It means the act of sacrificing, or it refers to the animal itself that would be sacrificed. And if we read in Hebrews 13, verse 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So context indicates to me that this refers to our praise and worship to God for the sacrifice and victory that we have in Christ. So this is how I interpreted this. And um, maybe if you've got the discussion afterwards, you can discuss this further. But it seems to me that if we reverse the words, and I don't 
I don't aim to change scripture in this, but if we reverse the word, it makes it clearer to me. Praise for the sacrifice. We give the fruit of our lips, as it says, giving thanks to his name. And I'm not certain in my own mind whether that's the name of God or the name of our Savior. Needless to say, it still implies the same thing. So it's praise for the name, which is how we have salvation. So it seems to follow because this is also central, it's so central to our faith and redemption. And this is what we do at every memorial meeting. The preceding verses are about the sacrifice of Jesus. And in particular, verse 12, we read, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Therefore, let us go unto him, let us go forth to him without the camp, bearing his reproach. So that's how I understand the idea of the sacrifice of praise, as we have it in Hebrews chapter 13. It's actually praise for the sacrifice that was made by our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 13, we have another sacrifice. It's the sacrifice of sharing. And the second commandment is to love our neighbor is, is also a sacrifice that we offer today. It's about giving of our substance to others and to the work of the truth or the ecclesia. It's a sacrifice because we could otherwise use those resources for our own indulgence and benefit, whether it is financial terms or uh, labor that we do or time devoted or whatever the services, it matters little. But it's, we all have some form of resources that we can offer in the service of God. And in the ESV, I found this a little bit, has a little bit more impact for me. Uh, Hebrews 13 verse 6 says there, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. I'm sure all of us know this is a requirement of discipleship, although there is a difference in practice of how different brethren and sisters will share. And I don't think we need to start trying to judge one another on this because we don't know what people share privately. We don't know how things are done, and, and we've got to be very careful that we don't look at each other and say, well, that person seems to have a lot to give. They should give more. I think that kind of rivalry and judgment is totally out of place in the ecclesia. Personally, the general guiding principle, I think, should be to share a little too much in faith rather than a little less, just in case I need it. Contributing to the, truth, to the work of the truth wherever it is needed is also a principle to be followed. The feeling of support and community that derives from this is, can be very encouraging. And I would think that all of us have received generous support or hospitality or whatever it is in some way or another from our brothers and sisters. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, it says there, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Done with the right attitude, God at the center. Then he continues, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. So when we share, share a little too much, then keeping a bit back just in case. 
What an honour it was for those brethren and sisters then to provide for the apostle so that the work of the gospel could abound. They're unnamed, although we know where they lived, and we also know that they are remembered and they will be resurrected. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen. Amen.